This episode of the MGMA podcast is brought to you by Walmart Business. It's the Walmart you love, now for business. Get everything you need for your staff and patients in one place. Enjoy big savings on health and safety products, cleaning supplies, over-the-counter medications, and much more. And don't forget the break room snacks. Create a free account today and start shopping at business.walmart.com. That's business.walmart.com. From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. We all have the same fears of bringing this, you know, virus home to our families. That's Kat Olson on the risk of being a healthcare worker during the COVID-19 crisis. Our special series continues this week with an inside look at life as a registered nurse during a global pandemic. But first, a word from our sponsor. Could workflow inefficiencies be preventing you from providing better care? Midmark is focused on developing solutions that help you uncover these inefficiencies, optimize workflow, and improve the patient experience. The Midmark Real-Time Locating System, or RTLS, can reduce wait times by moving patients efficiently through their visits, increase patient throughput by utilizing space effectively, and automatically collect data to give you additional insights on further workflow improvements. Contact Midmark today to see how they're transforming the way healthcare is delivered. For more information, visit midmarkrtls.com. The day-to-day for healthcare professionals has changed dramatically since the start of the COVID-19 crisis. PPE shortages, visitation restrictions, and fear of transmission are becoming all too common for those in the industry, putting the safety of others before their own. That's been no different for Kat Olson, who joins us this week to share a story as a registered nurse in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Kat, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Now, you're an RN at Lutheran Medical Center. Give us an idea. What's, what's your role there? Well, I work on the orthosurgical floor at night, and I occasionally do a relief charge nurse at night. Okay. What are the hours then? When do you go in? When's your shift over? When I'm charge nurse, it's 6 p.m. to 6.30 a.m. When I'm on the floor, it's 7 um, 7 p.m. to 7.30 a.m. Okay. How long have you been uh, uh, on the night shift like that? I've been doing the night shift for a little over 20 years. Okay. So you are a, a nocturnal person at this point. Was that hard to get used to at first or how did that work for you? Not really. I've always been a night person. I've never been what you call a partier, but I always like to stay up late at night. Mm-hmm. I, I like to moon gaze. I don't like to in stargaze, <laughs> I guess is what yeah. you call it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is it... <laughs> Think about it this way then, is it difficult then to get to sleep when it's bright outside like that? Or what, what's that like for you? There are certain things that you have to do in order to sleep during the day. Um, my husband's very accommodating. He got me some blackout curtains. I wear earplugs and 
you got to make sure that, you know, your room is either, I like my room slightly warm and sometimes a fan or some other type of noise helps, but you usually have to make your room into just a really dark, comfortable space to sleep. Sure. Well, we're, we have you on here because you have, uh, been involved at Lutheran uh, during the COVID-19 outbreak. So how has that changed or impacted your day-to-day? It's changed a lot of the procedures. Um, As far as coming in, you got to come in a little bit earlier because to get to work, because you have to have your temperature checked before you go into work. Um, And then uh, when when you come in, you have to make sure that you have your mask on in any inpatient areas. and uh, we have, and you, you know, you wash your hands. And if you are working on what we call the COVID units, you usually bring a change of clothes so that you can change your clothes before you go back home. Yeah. Are you, do you have to shower then before you leave the hospital to then put on the clean clothes or how do you handle that? No, we don't. Um, they do have employee showers and stuff like that. And if people want to, they can. Um, usually I just, um, I wear my scrubs and I wear this certain set of scrubs that I come home. Um, and then I, you know, and then I go straight down to the shower and throw my scrubs in the washer and I take shower. <laughs> okay. Okay. So everything goes right into the washer. <laughs> yeah. I, I just wasn't sure what the procedure was. So you don't, you know, there's no cross contamination. There's no um, risk there to try to mitigate that risk. So that's really interesting. Um, I want to get into that more uh, in more detail, but I want to talk about um, kind of some of the procedures there and and just some of the training that's involved. When this outbreak occurred, was there a staff meeting or were there some procedures that were put out so people would know how to do the things that you've already been describing? Yeah, actually, our um, executives have, uh, they did town hall meetings and they did very frequently. They did them like twice a day. Um, And we were meeting in our education offices and they were taking all of our questions. Um, But now that we're doing, we're also doing the social distancing for um, our meetings. We are doing virtual calls and they've been doing the town hall meetings probably every day, if not every other day. And I'm going to be on a virtual call again tonight at about 8 p.m. to get updates on what uh, they want us to do to keep us informed. Yeah. Since you've been involved with this, I'm curious how different procedures are, because it seems like just from the layman's perspective, we're we're here and we're we work in with MGMA. So we're helping educate people, but we're learning about things as they're transpiring as well. I just saw that uh, Mayor Garcetti, he's the mayor of LA, he just put out a, a notice that he's asking people to wear now wear masks when they go outside. He's, you know, they're, they're in the lockdown, but they are, um, you know, if somebody wants to get out and if they need to go to the grocery store, or if they just want to get out and get some fresh air and walk, he's asking for people now to wear masks. And, and that's one thing that's changed. So what has changed just in the few weeks since you've been involved there? Well, as far as having to wear a mask the whole time you're at work, um, they, 
sort of uh, changed how they wanted us to do it. At first, they wanted everybody to wear a mask when you were in the hospital inpatient settings. And then they took that away because we were going through too many of our surgical um, procedure masks. Um, then they started uh, designating some of the uh, nurses were doing sewing masks. And so they sewed uh, for all the units. So everybody gets a sewn uh, mask now that we wear when we're in the inpatient settings um, because to save on the surgical masks. Um, and we try and use those until they get become soiled or wet. Is there anything else we should know about equipment or things that people can be doing out there? Well, I know on Facebook, they have a lot of people that are sewing masks for the hospital um, with certain materials, but nobody really knows that we are actually now running really short on isolation gowns. And um, a lot of staff are sort of scared by that because we want to keep ourselves protected too. Um, and I know people are bored at home and they want to, help out and i was wondering if maybe we could get the word out about sewing um the isolation gown well that is the kind of effort that if if the word is out there and there's a, a plan in place i think there's just so many people out there that could pitch in and help i mean what are the what all would people need to know at that point i mean what what would you like to get out there to the audience and to other people so they can pitch in and help well, I know that a lot of people have been sewing um, the masks at home, but we can't use those in the hospital from a certain material. So that's why we have a sewing group in the hospital that is sewing the for our hospital with certain material. So I, I don't want the people that are making face masks at home not to feel bad that we can't use their face masks in the hospital. They're still good to use like out walking out and about. I don't think you need to wear the mask when you're outside, but when you're in an enclosed space, it wouldn't hurt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but we can't use those sewn masks at hospitals. Okay. Talk about the team then that you just mentioned. You've got a team there sewing gowns. What, how did that get started and, and what's that like? Well, actually the team is, um, they're set up in a room in the hospital and they're sewing 400 masks a day for staff members with the certain material that we need. And it's actually fairly simple to sew a mask. We use a pipe cleaner for the uh, metal nose bridge, and then we use this uh, specific material, and they just you know fold the mask and sew it really quick, but they've been distributing those throughout the hospital for the staff members to wear in the inpatient settings. And they're able to create 400 a day. Is that what you said? 400 a day. That is incredible. And, and a lot of the nurses that are doing it, I think, are like uh, some of the mother baby nurses, some of the OR nurses are doing it. Um, and not OR, like, and, or PACU, since there's not as many surgeries. So it's a, it's a lot of the people that, since they've cut down on the amount of patients that are in the hospitals, we're trying to help out in other ways. Yeah. Are there any other ways that the team is, is pitching in, doing things that maybe they wouldn't have previously been doing and they're just do, all hands on deck trying to, trying to defeat this right now? Very, very much so. We have a lot of people that are trying to help with um, down in central distribution to distribute supplies to the units. Um, and then we have people that are um, helping out with transporters, you know, the biggest help is 
we go for helping hand, hands in ICU and we help where we can. So the ICU nurse can not, doesn't have to do like some of those, like we do the baths and we do um, uh, basically what we call the activities of daily living, help the patient get ready for bed um, by brushing their teeth, washing their face, that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, we've seen that there's a decrease in elective surgeries. So people who worked in those areas where elective surgeries were the primary uh, work that they did, are they now being cross-trained into different areas? And so people can have relief and there's backup there. What's going on in, in that regard? Very much so. They canceled a lot of our elective surgeries. So we, our census or number of patients went down to only a third of what we usually have. Um, and so we, we, at first we're putting a lot of the nurses on call and they're going, well, where, where else can I help? So a lot of our staff is being cross-trained into um, other areas such as telemetry, the progressive care unit, and sometimes even the ICU. I was actually cross-trained uh, into the ICU and progressive care just the past couple of nights. Okay. What all did you have to learn about that? I mean, what is different uh, when you go into, say, the ICU unit or something like of, of that nature? As far as going into the ICU, we're trying to do what we call team nursing, where um, the ICU nurse would um, do a good amount of the care, and then the um, floor nurse would be um, like a helper. And we would try not to do stuff outside of our scope. Um, like we would hang antibiotics and other medications that we have knowledge about, um, where the ICU nurse would take care of more of the uh, vents and presser drips and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Now, one story that was relayed to me was when you began a shift, there were a certain number of people, uh, patients there on the observation floor. And by the end of your shift, that had grown greatly. Uh, tell us about that. What, what was that night like? And what were the different numbers of patients that came through there like that? So one night, the um, observation unit probably started with only about, I think it was 10 patients and doubled to 20. Um, so, so we had to call staff in um, to help settle those patients. Um, and it's just hard because you some of these patients are coming in with such uh, generalized symptoms that you don't exactly know what they have. So you have to protect yourself until, you know, you get the COVID test. Right. What's the turnaround on that? How long is that taking? So it used to be anywhere from five days. We have now got a 24-hour test um, that they've been doing for patients. So are those patients that you're not sure about once they've had the test done, are they in a room by themselves? I mean, what is, where are they placed at that point? Um, they're in a room by themselves, but they're not in what we call um, negative airflow isolation. They're usually uh, just in a, a room with a closed door where we wear masks and uh, uh, gowns when we go into the room. Okay. To give us an, a better idea, then what are those different rooms? You said something really interesting there, a negative airflow 
situation. So what are the different rooms, the different, uh, let's think about it this way. If someone comes in and you think they may be uh, COVID-19 positive, there's a chance there. Walk us through what a, a patient's experience will be then once they get to the hospital. Well, first they would go through the ER and they get their uh, triaged down there. And if they feel that they uh, might be uh, positive for COVID-19, if it's going to depend on their treatment, if they're going to be needing what we call nebulizers or BiPAP or needing intubation, they would automatically put in what we call a negative pressure room, um, which for the negative pressure room, because COVID-19 is aerosolized or is um, these those treatments aerosolize the COVID-19. The air does not circulate into the hospital air system. It circulates directly outside. Mm -hmm. So after they go into that room, then they decide which unit they'd have to go to if they needed a negative pressure room or if they just needed an isolation room. Um, and depending upon that, it's scary because, you know, first we don't let any visitors come in with them. And so we're trying to explain everything to them as to what we're trying to do is keeping them safe, keeping other patients safe, keeping ourselves safe. Um, but many patients are very receptive to it. Mm -hmm. And then say they still feel like they have, they might have the COVID-19 and they're in a negative pressure room. It's a little scary because it's only the nurse that can go in into the room uh, with the special N95 mask and a gown and the it's very limited exposure okay um i haven't been to the er with patients yet um but when they come up from the er to um an isolation room um the biggest thing is you know the first thing is they're scared um and i try and say I understand it's scary, but you know, you need to let us know how you're feeling so that we can take care of you. That's the biggest thing. Um, they're in, they're in an isolation room where the door is always closed. And if they can't hit the call button um, for when they need us, that's when it gets a little tricky. Um, we try and do what we go call ra uh, purposeful rounds uh, every one to two hours to check on patients, especially if they are unable to call us. Um, and then they, you know, sometimes they just want to talk to somebody. So a lot of the times they spend more time in the isolation room with the patient, just talking with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier that the family or other loved ones aren't able to go in there with them, that they are, the patients are in there by themselves. That's, I think in many cases, that's a, that's a different experience here. So talk about that. How does that change your role as a nurse, um, being able to communicate with other family members and um, then being, be needing to communicate with that patient and they could be in a very critical situation there as well. So what is that relationship and that communication like for you? It's um, a lot more phone calls. Um, mm -hmm. We, a lot of the nurses found it's actually been really helpful. I know it sounds mean to not have family there 
because it's more you can take care of the patient directly and you can focus more on just the patient and not the family. Mm -hmm. Um, But the nurses, I'm trying to remind them that you guys really need to call the family to ease their fears, to give them updates. So I've been trying to like when we're on the surgeon, even though it's not the COVID unit, I've been telling them, call the family before 10 o'clock to give them an update on how their family member is doing. Are are there any other things then that you're, you're doing with the patients just to make them as comfortable as possible? What, what else is going on there? Um, The biggest thing is I always ask them, do you want to call your family? Do you want to talk to them on the phone? Um, Because that it's very important that they have that. And I said, if you have the ability do FaceTime, you know, but a lot of the patients are like, I have hospital hair. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I know. That's okay. <laughs> I said, but it's more important that, you know, do I, you know, before I, they go to sleep, I said, do you want to call your family and say goodnight to them and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. And I want to ask you about uh, PPEs now, because you've talked about equipment a little bit along the way here, but What's currently the situation there? I mean, we hear about shortages across the country, but give us an idea of uh, what the equipment uh, situation is like for you guys and how that's changed over the last several weeks. Well, you got to think we, you know, we are as a nation are sometimes very wasteful um, with our equipments and, and we use gloves all the time and don't even think about it. Um, but going, we used to go through masks like every, every time we'd go in the room and you think how many times you go into a room. Um, but when we hear that the place that is, you know, doing our, making our masks is no longer able to do it because of this virus too. Um, we have to limit. So we are doing, Lutheran's been like one of the top people as far as doing the recycling of materials. Um, We have a UV light that we are um, sanitizing our masks with so that we can use an N95 mask for um, days now instead of just one use. And then what other equipment then is is needed here for you guys? What do you you need or are there other um, recycling programs or other things you're doing to reuse equipment? The newest thing, a couple things that I just found out about is we actually have a UV light now that also sterilizes the rooms. So when a room becomes vacant, they use the UV light to sterilize the room so that no COVID-19 will be growing on the surfaces before we put a new patient in the room, mm-hmm. um, which I thought was awesome. <laughs> yeah, uh, the thing, The thing that we are now fighting is we are now on a shortage of gowns or isolation gowns. Lutheran was one of the hospitals I know uses the reusable isolation gowns that are made out of a special material. Um, And then we send them off to a laundry uh, facility that sterilizes them. And then they, we don't go through those paper isolation gowns. And I thought that was very smart of them to be recycling. Um, But of the laundry facility now will only give out so many gowns because other facilities have been hoarding some of the gowns and we are limited we are now very limited on our isolation gowns and that's Mm going to get really scary because you're going into a room the patient has been 
coughing or getting a nebulizer treatment and you know the COVID-19 is all over the room. Right. And if you don't have a gown, it's now on your scrubs. Right. So, so what are, head to toe, what are you wearing then when you're meeting with a patient right now? What, how are you dressed? What is your equipment that you're wearing? If it is a known COVID-19 patient, I am wearing goggles, an N95 mask, uh, isolation gown, and gloves with my scrubs and regular shoes uh, on. But my shoes stay at work. I don't okay. bring my shoes home. So as far as the mask and the goggles, do you get, um, do you have one pair that you're wearing for a shift or how does that work? Um, we, a lot of the other nurses have their own face, they have face shields and we put our name on them and they use their face shield. Um, my husband actually bought me a pair of goggles, like uh, protection goggles that I put my name on that I clean mm -hmm. every time. Okay. And does that stay at the hospital or do you bring that home with you and clean it? Or it stays at the it? hospital. No, okay. it stays at the hospital and they clean it with the materials at the hospital. Okay. Um, besides PPEs, what are the biggest changes you've seen uh, in regards to daily processes and procedures? I know we covered that a little bit, but there might be some other things uh, that you've noticed that uh, the hospital's doing right now. I think a lot of it is they've streamlined a lot of the care um, to make it stick. Um, like we are, we're trying to realize that, hey, this wasn't so important. It's more important that we do these certain things. Like they've really specified more of the assessments um, of the patients and making sure that we just keep a closer eye on the patient and not having to deal with all the other uh, stuff that we usually deal with on the daily basis. It's simplified the amount of charting that we have to do. We've tried to, that's because the charting took us away from the patient a lot. So that, that was one of the things that I really liked is that um, we simplified the charting so we're more at the patient's side. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's important. So how much time are you spending with a patient then if it's a, a COVID-19 patient? I mean, are you are you communicating with them? I mean, what are those interactions like? Walk us through that. Um, on the patient that um, I admitted that was a suspected COVID patient, um, a lot of it is going through a very intricate history and timeline of when the symptoms started and uh, what exposure may have been to both him and family members and other things like that. Um, and charting all those questions into the computer. Then um, in also in the same process is making sure that I can also do the treatments as far as getting him, getting the medications, antibiotics, um, inhalers and stuff to help him feel better. When I'm admitting a patient, I'm in there for about an hour, hour and a half until I can get them comfortable and I make sure that they don't need anything else. And I said, okay, I'm going to try and let you get uh, rest for a while. And I usually, and I tell them I'll be back in about an hour to two hours to check on you and to do my rounds. But I make mm -hmm. sure that they have the call light and then call me if they need, need anything. Yeah. Um, do you have any particular stories then that you could share with us that is, 
it really captures the kind of work that's taking place during this crisis. Uh, it could be something along the lines of, of teamwork, the way you guys are working together, or just interacting with those patients to keep them as safe as possible. Well, um, it's really hard, I think, for the family members um, not being able to be there with their uh, loved ones in the hospital. Um, so uh, that's why I, one of my biggest things is making sure the families are in the loop of what's going on with the patient. Um, because we always, you know, we always talk to the families usually when they're there, but when they're not there, they forget to call them. And it really puts the, the families at ease when you talk to them. It's really that every family member is like so appreciative. And it actually also helps our, um, our morale too, because we hear the family members going, thank you so much for taking care of my family member. I really appreciate that. We've been getting lots of flower deliveries <laughs> to the units sure. and yeah. food, <laughs> a lot of food deliveries to the units. Sure. So um, it's been really nice to see that. Yeah. Um, you're talking about working with the patients there, but it's, it's stressful on the team as well, the nurses and doctors and everybody else in, in the hospital. And so what are you guys doing or how are you pulling together? How are you, uh, keeping each other, you know, focused on things that might be optimistic to just keep working through this. Well, actually, Lutheran is really awesome as far as uh, making sure they had a set up a phone line for peer support, where it's also like sort of like this Zoom where you call in and you can talk, all of the nurses can talk about what's going on. We keep it confidential and we say, How are you feeling? Um, do you want to talk about something? Do you need to get something off your chest? Um, and usually that doesn't have any of the executives in it. It's just their nurses in, in CNAs and uh, that call in. Um, so we were doing that for a week to see how it, it went. I haven't heard how it went because I only called in once to it. But we also, they made sure that they send out emails that we have employee assistance program where you can call and talk to a therapist and they have a spe specific um, 800 line for uh, somebody who understands healthcare workers and is the therapist just for the healthcare workers. Yeah. The one time, the one time you did call in, um, was there anything that you learned or anything you shared with people that uh, was helpful to either yourself or others? Well, we all shared that we all we all have the same fears of bringing this, you know, virus home to our families. I said, well, it's already out there in the community. So it's probably it's just like when we have a another um, isolation that we call MRSA, because mm -hmm. we've all been exposed to it. We've been exposed to things that are, um, you know, we're not worse than COVID-19, but probably equivalent to it. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your personal situation here then, because you're involved with this, but you've got a husband and kids at home. Uh, how are you balancing this? How are you taking care of yourself at this time? Um, basically, I, I do a lot of uh, reading of my Bible a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and they go for a lot of walks, uh, 
I spend a lot of time out on my deck. Do we, we, we are doing a lot of cooking. <laughs> <laughs> so, and a lot of cleaning right now. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's so important right now to try to find a little bit of balance um, uh, with all that, you know, you guys are going through on the front line there and, and just working with patients and keeping them safe. So it's, it's super important for you guys to um, not suffer from burnout or, or anything else at this time. Uh, So I think you had mentioned it before. I'll just ask you again, though, when it, my concern then would be, uh, what are you doing when you're not working or sleeping? But it does sound like you're getting some good, uh, getting some fresh air. You're uh, doing a lot of cooking, interacting with the yeah. family there as well. Uh, what's it like? I guess your kids, are they school age? Are they uh, at home right now as well? Are you able to spend some time with them? Yeah, actually, I have a middle schooler and a high schooler. Um, and since they've been doing homeschool, um, it's been challenging, but they're more tech savvy than I am. <laughs> Zoom I've ever done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had to break down and, uh, since I knew that they were going to have to be socially distanced from their friends, since I'm, you know, directly exposed, I didn't want to expose any of their friends. Um, I broke down and bought them a gaming system and, <laughs> Now I'm going to have to break down and get them a treadmill. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, I, I've been trying, I've been putting off getting them a game system for the longest time. Oh yeah. Is there anything else that, that you'd, you'd like to talk about or uh, just explain to our audience what you're going through or what the, you know, what the whole team is going through there? Well, um, Fear is the biggest thing I think that is uh, a lot of people are focusing on the fear of getting this and the fear of dominant. But but the thing is people can, you know, you can get a cold um, and you won't, some people, or you can get the flu and some people will die from it and some people won't. But because of so much, all all the news and they're just focused death rate of this, that they don't realize that people do get better. From this this is just you know and then you have the you have the antibodies against this virus so you're stronger in the long in the long run um are there any final thoughts then you'd like to share with others in this industry about COVID-19 and the kind of work you and your colleagues are doing every day and working with patients well I didn't get to mention sometimes like on the last week weekend that I was off when they after they had trained me for ICU I spent a lot of my time studying online to refresh my memory on both ventilators respiratory meds um, some of the vasopressor and drips that I haven't studied since nursing school so uh, a lot of this so while the kids were also in school so was I I was um, reading up and updating my stuff on some of the treatments and stuff. So that kept my mind busy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, then, and that's right important. Ahead. That's important when we're getting cross-trained because a lot of the nurses that are cross-training to units, they're not comfortable with stuff. I said, we're all getting pushed out of our comfort zone. I said, let's just, just try and study and you know, know as much as you can, but do what you feel comfortable doing. 
Yeah, that's great advice. Well, Kat, thanks so much for the work that you're doing and for sharing these uh, experiences with our audience today. Thank you for that. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to Midmark for sponsoring this week's show. Also, thanks to our guest, Kat Olson. Keep an eye out for more in this series as we talk with other healthcare professionals guiding their practices through these difficult times. To keep up with the latest, be sure to visit mgma.com slash COVID. You can also connect with fellow members and healthcare peers at community.mgma.com. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com membership. Thanks. The popular buzzword we've been seeing everywhere is AI. But what we all want to know is how we can implement and use it to our advantage. When it comes to improving margins, accelerating cash flow, and optimizing staff performance, there's a one-stop shop using cloud-based predictive analytics. MGMA Analytics is your AI-enabled tool that upscales technology you've already been paying for so you can silo your disparate systems and make data-backed business decisions. Visit mgma.com analytics and see how AI can revolutionize your finances and operations. Again, visit mgma.com analytics today.